Welcome to another episode of the Week Pastor Podcast, where we view Christianity through the lens of vulnerability. Welcome to the Week Pastors Podcast. And Sua, stop laughing so much. Why, why are you laughing so much? It's because we're so hilarious off the podcast. <laughs> Which we, is so we, funny. We can really amuse each other quite well, don't we? We can, <laughs> even on this early morning. Even in this early morning. I got Sue up earlier. Uh, this is probably the earliest we've ever recorded a podcast. Well, especially on early. a sat. No, today's not a Saturday. Oh, it's Friday, but it feels like a Saturday because my kids just ended it school does. yesterday. But for Pastor oh, Peter, no. this is lunchtime because he wakes up at like 4.30 <laughs> in the morning every day. So, Well... Yeah, the day started early for me, but uh, but yeah, so I'm like I'm like in the middle of my day, so I'm ready to go. But like two, three o'clock, I kind of hit a wall. That's kind of my. What do thing. you do when you hit a wall? Um, I so sometimes I can't do anything. I got to keep going. Do you drink through coffee? And I keep working. No, I don't. I don't. I get headaches. Any I wish I could drink coffee. I would love to drink coffee, but I keep getting yeah. headaches. There was a season of my life where for about six months, I said, you know what? I think it's because I just my body doesn't build a tolerance for caffeine. So if I drink coffee every day for the next six months i think my body's gonna build a tolerance for it and i should stop having headaches i did it for six months and i had didn't headaches work. literally every day for six months and i just so said how did you even handle that for six months you're so crazy uh, your desire to drink coffee was just no, so strong yeah advil advil yeah, yeah that, I just, so you were like medicating yourself was, so you could drink oh, coffee oh if i don't medicate oh my lord uh, my headache it will become like migraine full-blown oh, migraine geez. so yeah so anyway. i mean i am those people where coffee doesn't do anything. So I basically drink it for the test. T taste. I could drink coffee and then go to bed five minutes later. I, yeah, I don't, I like don't espresso. understand people like that. I don't, it I don't doesn't understand. affect me So that means all. you drink a lot of coffee then? No, because, no, that's not true. So the caffeine doesn't affect me, but the acidity gives me heartburn and indigestion. So I can only drink one <laughs> cup a day. It's not the caffeine, it's the acidity in the coffee. Okay, okay. All Getting right, cool. old over here. All right, so I'm just gonna be honest, man. We, yeah. we started a little bit earlier than we normally do, and I was like, Sue, what's wrong? What's going on with you today? You okay, know, like, listen, I just... we don't need to divulge all of my nighttime routine details. <laughs> exactly. To so our share audience. Some stuff. Interesting, but anyway, we're, we're gonna keep that on the wraps. But first of all, thank everyone for your support. Um, it's so great. Uh, every week, we're just so grateful that we get to put a podcast out and that you listen. We'd love to hear your feedback. Please, if you have any any feedback for us, any suggestions or any show topics or episode topics, uh, let us know at weekpastor.org. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, but Sue, I have a question today for you. Yeah, the to question answer. ties into the thing he just said. Exactly, exactly. Because about... when I saw you this morning, I was like, mm. yo, girl, what's going on with you? Anyway, so, <laughs> so Sue, did you have a body part growing up as a kid where kids made fun of you about or like you were ashamed of like you wish oh i wish i didn't have this right but now that you're an adult you're kind of like that's right i'm so grateful i have this I mean, you know, you know what? I mean, you're basically leading the question so that I would have to reveal yes, this thing we were yes. discussing earlier. No, yes, so, what? okay. So let me tell you the story. The full story is that I came on the Zoom, and my video was turned on, and then Pastor Peter looked at me, and he's just like staring at me, like something <laughs> is weird about you. Like, what is going on? And it's because I wear a night guard when I'm sleeping, <laughs> and so when you have a night guard in your mouth for like eight hours you know, it kind of puffs up your lips. And so he, I swear, I think he thought I got Botox. You thought I, I got Botox. I was like, what's going on with your lips this morning? I was like, so, I was like, do you have a mouthpiece on or something? Cause your <laughs> lips just look so much more voluptuous. I was like, what's going on here? Like he couldn't stop staring at them. I was like, stop it. Stop staring at my face. Like, so, you know, like my face is disproportionate right now, but 
believe it or not, that was kind of like the natural state of my lips all throughout like high school, middle school. You, you have big lips. I had really big lips, and okay. um, I will post a picture as you show me content. the post. I will show you the you picture. Show me the picture, mm -hmm. and I was, yeah, I was, I was blown away. Your 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 lips <laughs> back then looked three times bigger than what it is now. Okay, <laughs> and I was just like, I can't believe how big your lips were back then. My lips were so big, um, and. I think that that's one of the reasons why lip fillers is such a thing as you get older. Apparently, yeah. you lose a lot of the collagen in your lips naturally as you get older. So finally, oh, for the first that. time in my life, I have normal-sized lips now from aging <laughs> and losing like 75% of my collagen. Wait, wait a minute. You could you can your lips will get smaller over year, over the years? How do you think I got my lips to look normal now? Wait, so that's really that's really yes, true. Yes, that's why people love getting lip fillers because it's oh, supposed man, to make you look more that. youthful because as you get older your lips thin. Like And you what get, is that? Having thin lips means that's like a sign of old age? Is that what that is? I guess it's I I guess it can appear to make because I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes when people get those lip fillers, I mean, I feel like they put too much. I mean, that is and, kind and of the problem. Bit, it looks a little like it looks. It looks doesn't look great. <laughs> I, I think that um, Botox is one of those things that I think sometimes it's hard to draw the line. Yeah, because I know people who get Botox and you can't even tell they get Botox. So if it's done really well, you that's really beautiful. can't tell. Yeah, I'm sure that's perfect. But I yeah. think sometimes it's kind of like. Have you ever heard? Or, have you ever heard this idea of like being a tanorexic? People who start tanning and then they don't know when to stop, so they just become darker and darker and darker, and then you just look at them and you're like, "What is going on?" Like tanorexic. Yeah. Have you ever? Yeah, okay, man. so I think it's kind of similar with Botox. Like I think you get addicted to it, and then it just keep getting more like bigger and bigger and bigger lips, and then you know it it just looks completely like a wow. you look like a cartoon. Yeah, exactly. But it people just, looks, just don't it looks know. Obnoxious, actually. Sometimes yeah, you just don't like, know oh how to. Gosh. How do they kiss? You know, like I don't yeah, know. How yeah, do you, yeah. How do you kiss? But then it's hard for them to like talk because their lips are so big, you know, and stuff. Yeah, but so. my, my friend who's a dentist said that there was a lady who came in who had a lot of Botox on her lips. And then when she went to go, like, go touch her lips to like pull it away, she freaked out because it didn't feel like what a normal lip usually oh, feels no. like. Yeah. Like she just, she said she was like, oh my gosh. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I do wonder what it's like to kiss somebody who has a lot of, if you've ever kissed anybody they, who has a lot of Botox, wonder, let me know. But I wonder if they, if the person who's got the Botox in their lips, I wonder if they can actually feel somebody else's lips when they kiss them. Because yeah, I don't know. Because it's so filled with stuff. See, know? this is one of those things it that I would never be able to understand. Yeah. There's a lot of cosmetic procedures that I completely can understand why people do. Yeah. You know, because like I had as many girls in their teenage years do, I had a lot of body image issues. Yeah. Um, but... Plumping the lips is definitely not something that's on my list because all of most of my life until I would say like my 30s, this was like the bait of my existence. Like my lips were so disproportionately large compared to my face. And I have a big face. So, I, you know, they were really large. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, and, yeah. People would just like always be like, wow, your lips are so big. And after a while, you're like, I don't want to hear this anymore about my yeah. face. Like, I don't want to yeah. pe have people tell me that my lips are too big. Yeah. So I wouldn't, the, the idea of even like injecting something into my lips is like so crazy to me because that's yeah. what, that's the opposite of what I've been wanting to do most of my life, you know?
Well, listen, this morning, your lips looked a little bit more engorged than normal, so. (laughs) Okay, engorged is not, I think, a good word for that. But yes, I mean, I guess they were because I was wearing my night guard. So if you had to to answer your question, yeah. Yeah, I guess I had really, really big lips in high school. And unfortunately, this was not something that was trendy back then. It's a very big trend now, thanks to the Kardashians. All Um, the Kardashians. But it was definitely not a thing when I was growing up, and it was definitely not considered an asset. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Good. Well, for me, uh, I would say two things. But the one, I, you, you, you know this, Sua. Like you're tall. Yeah, my height. I think in the in the past, you know, I think, and I, I love it now. But back in the day, um, you know, I was so tall and I was grotesquely skinny. It just wasn't <laughs> a good mix. It wasn't a good mixture, and uh, I just looked goofy all the time, and uh, so I didn't like my height at all but now you know i'm i filled out and now i'm filling out too much i want to fill out less and it's so <laughs> difficult to to take the fillers out as you get older <laughs> but uh but i'm grateful for the height you know and stuff and and i know you you always used to make fun of me because you're saying how could you how could you say that how could you say you don't want to be tall you know and stuff but uh but yeah but for me like sticking out was never a good thing for me growing up you know because sticking out always led to some kind of hardship you know um korean and all white school uh got made fun of a lot so just this idea of sticking out so interesting because i guess your goal as a korean american was to blend in yeah well because when i'm with koreans i mean everyone would just kind of be like wow you're you're so tall you are so tall (laughs) I, i i literally felt like chewbacca like that's what, and then and then I met Jenny. And you know, Jenny's five one and a half. And then I meet her. I love family. that half that is so important. The five one and a half. Well, oh, she would get very Every upset half with inch me. counts. She would get very upset with me if I said five one. <laughs> I really think she's five one, but she she wants me to believe she's five one and a half. So okay, five one and a half. When I met her family, like I kind of felt like 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 I was like a like a zoo animal. And they just could not like like get enough of how tall I was. And then I remember one time I was over their house and they wanted me to, there was a bug on the ceiling. <laughs> like, oh my God, there's a blood bug on the ceiling. And get Peter, get and Peter. And I killed it and they started cracking every single one of them. It was like the funniest thing. Like we would have to get a chair to get up there. So you just stand up and you, and I just felt like, I felt, I don't know, I felt like a loser. Like I just You should have felt powerful. No, I didn't, if anything. And then, like, I take family photos with them, and I have to sit down because I can't stand up. Remember, you you made our wedding pictures look like this. I have to post a wedding picture. I'm going to go find my wedding picture of you and us where you literally look like you're chaperoning us. No, so seriously. So, like, you know, we did a whole family picture many years ago at a professional studio, and everyone was there, and then the photographer is like, you're going to have to sit down. And I was sitting down with all the women in the family. And all the guys were standing in the back, and I was sitting down with them. And again, it's like you see me, and I have an abnormally large head. So it's like like Chewbacca with the no, entire but, family. But it's like, weird so because... I stuck out so much. It's weird because... Um... You know, my kids are really, really small. Not only are they small because their parents are genetically smaller, but they're small <laughs> also because apparently, according to the endocrinologist, they're also biologically behind on their chronological age. So they're going to, I mean, according to the endocrinologist, they're going to be getting puberty pretty late. 
So they will eventually catch up to, you know, the five, one and a half or whatever height they're destined to be. <laughs> not, they're not going to be very tall. But right now they're like ridiculously short. So the other month, <laughs> my younger daughter gets in the car. I went to go dr- pick them up at school and she gets into the car. and She goes, so, mommy, what's a midget? <laughs> oh, no, don't tell me the kids so are I'm calling like, dri- no, So I'm driving and I'm like a midget and i'm like oh god i'm like why 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 do you want to know what a midget is and she goes well this kid wade he said you and your sister are midgets (laughs) (laughs) and that's politically incorrect to say that now (laughs) right so that's why i was like how do i answer this question because i could tell there was going to be many reasons why it's hard to answer this question but basically some kid called the midgets and for me as an asian you know parent of asian girls in a mostly not asian town it would be kind of nice if my girls were at least like taller so that they're not like the small short asian kids do you know what i'm saying so how tall are you sua how tall are you i'm there's no half i'm just a flat five three unless i've started shrinking and then i'm five two and a half but hey hey that's tall my sister's my sister my wife's family so i'm actually considered (laughs) average height believe it or not the average height in america for girls is five three i know this seems really not true i do not google it right now google it and it will tell you it's five three yeah for men it's it's only like five nine for men no yeah you can google it yep and I feel like it's part of the Asian influence that we've all immigrated here and like lowered the average height and, you know, <laughs> but my kids are so short and it, it's weird to me that for you, this was something that was hard for you as an Asian yeah. to be tall. Cause for me, it's like, man, at least if they could be a normal height, they would blend in a little bit better. Not that I want them to blend in, but I don't know. Like I, I do wonder what it's like to grow so up like So for me, so this, this is part of like, you know, if you don't have like a real strong support system at home is what happens because in school I stuck out like a sore thumb and I didn't like it because it, you know, it caused people making fun of me and stuff like that. And then when I was with the Korean community, I didn't feel like I fit in because I was so big, you know, and stuff. And I just wanted to just blend in and be kind of like with the normal, the normal folks, you know, and stuff. And I actually believe like a lot of times, you know, I, I was a hopeless romantic. So you know what that means, right? A hopeless romantic. I wanted <laughs> girlfriend but nobody wanted to date me and i really believe the reason why people didn't women girls didn't want to date me was because i was so tall and skinny you know and stuff and so anyway yeah so anyway that was it so but but part of asua what that led to was that i was embarrassed of having big feet what size are your uh, feet so they're 12s i I wear a size 12 but that's not that big compared to your height i know I could have been, I think I could have been like a 13, maybe, maybe even a, yeah, probably a 13. I don't think I could have been a 14. But when I was in high school, I was so, because I bought shoes to my size and I looked at my feet and I was like, oh my God, they're so big. <laughs> so you know what I did? I bought a 10 and a half, 10 and a half. And <laughs> okay. I wore 10 what? and a half for you. You paid money for shoes that were too small. Yeah. Do you have and permanent so, toe damage? Yeah. So like my claw toes feet? are like this. My toes are oh like my this. Oh my gosh. Like because for so many years I did that. And, um, and I just thought, you know, I think I stunted the growth of my foot because the years of my puberty, my puberty years, I just, I wanted to have small feet. You like I just bound your feet good. like. You know? it, it was no bueno and then and you know like because I, I tried to <laughs> when i was when i was in high school like 
like freshman sophomore year, I actually like dancing a lot. Like I, nobody will believe me. My kids don't even believe me because I don't like what dancing kind anymore. Of dancing. Oh, just like the stuff that you guys are doing now, like the Running Man and all that stuff. But I would go to like clubs. I, like our school would have dance nights. I would go and I would dance the entire night. Like I loved it. But the best dancers were the shortest people with the God, smallest feet. I wish I could feet. have some video footage of this. Yeah smallest people with the smallest feet and so i always thought like oh my god i, I i'm probably looking so goofy because i'm so tall with these big feet so i just wanted small feet but now now i love having size 12s i wish i had size 13s you know why because when you go to these outlet stores <laughs> guess what size is most Yo, nobody is a 13 right 13 12 very not everyone's a 12 so like you'll never find a size like eight nine tens right like in, in like these outlet yeah. stores but if you want to get good discounts on shoes you go to the size 12 rack not a problem at all you can find shoes your wow. size look at how god and has so, redeemed this i love the fact you to that have i have a size 12 at the i outlet wish i would have size 13s because then i could get even more if only you had not crippled your feet by if only have not two sizes too small but you don't understand like my like my feet would hurt see how you've just blocked endured. the gift that god tried to give you you know god I tried know. to give you size 13 feet so you could do your outlet shopping <laughs> 20 years later exactly. but you rejected that crap rejected by binding it. your feet with yes. two small shoes and, and maybe now the reason why i struggle you. with balance so much is because i should have a size 13 feet <laughs> but because i have a size 12 i'm so clumsy and i fall down all the time so, i feel like that's anyway. at least better than the people who have really big feet but they're really short that's true that's true because you, you know, know what those people like about to say? guys with big feet big shoes <laughs> oh anyway so those are the people so no but those are the people that are constantly saying like you know my feet are a size 12 and i was meant to be six foot three it's just i think something happened and that's why i'm so <laughs> short but i was meant to be tall sorry guys newsflash i don't think so i think you were yeah. meant to be whatever height you were Anyway, okay, all right. Well, we got we got to actually we've been we've been talking a little too much about our bodies. Um, you that know, was I don't, your question. I, you I don't know literally this my fixation this about our bodies, but I, I think it's good. I think it's, you know it's a podcast. I think people can get a better image of us, you know, in this way. So yeah, I just want everyone to know in this image of you of me that you are creating. <laughs> I have normal size lips. It's very very important. Okay. Uh, yes, they they look they look a little bit above average. They're not big, but they're above average. You mean I would currently? say. Versus no, no, I would before. just say normal. Your normal lips yeah, are not not normal. They're a little bit above average. Yeah, which is good in this in this day and age. You know, Do you think so. they're still bigger than average? Yeah, oh for oh. sure. But when you when you show me your your what, what, <laughs> what year was that? Was that high school or elementary um, school? I think that was like ninth grade. I think that was ninth grade. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They it was abnormally big abnormally big so and you'll see it on on the uh, on the on the post at facebook stay so, tuned anyway uh so what we want to talk today about leadership i know that there are a lot of pastors uh church leaders and even business leaders that that listen to this podcast and over the years you know pastoring and leading metro for the past 18 years i've really learned the importance of leading out of weakness or we call it weak leadership um and i think that's so different um, when you juxtapose it with leadership today, wherever you are, whether it's in the church, whether it's at work, wherever it might be, because the culture today in which you and I live in values strong leadership, you know, strength, strength-based. And so we want to just kind of talk about weak leadership, which really I think is the best way for you and I to lead whatever organization we're called to lead. I even think it's the best practice to do this in your family. 
as well as a parent, uh, if you have kids as well, that this idea of weakness. And when I say weakness, I'm not saying necessarily like, you know, you're just thinking you're nothing. That's not what it is. It's really about being vulnerable. It's about being mm-hmm. open, being a, leading with a level of vulnerability. If we can do that, I think it really changes everything. And I think the reason why, I mean, I mean, Sue, think about all the stuff that's going on in the church with moral failures, with pastors falling, uh, pastors quitting, and all those things. I think a lot of that is because we're not able to be vulnerable. We don't want to be vulnerable. Uh, we don't want to be weak because vulnerability can cause us to get harmed in that way. So, yeah, I wanted to talk about weak leadership and strong leadership. And so you have some experience about this as well. And I kind of want to get some of your initial thoughts on it and what you think about that. And kind of like with our audience, why do you think weak leadership is the way to go about doing leadership today in church and ministry, uh, wherever you might be. Why do you think that's better than strong leadership? Or maybe you don't agree with me, but uh, but I'd love to get your thoughts, your initial thoughts. I don't know if I can really speak to um, weak leadership in practice. I'm, I'm still trying to like solidify how that looked like for me personally, but I do know what that looked like um, at Metro from the pastoral. Um, yeah. Just because that was something that I was very struck by when I yeah. first went to Metro. And I know it, I know that the leadership, you know, from the place of weakness goes so much beyond just preaching about your vulnerabilities on Sundays. It's right. much more than just the Sunday pulpit, but I think it's the Sunday preaching is integral to that whole idea of weakness yes. because you're already setting the tone, right? Like the senior pastor or whoever's preaching on Sunday is setting the tone and I don't think you can, this is just my opinion, but I don't think that it would have worked as well at Metro to do this whole leadership and weakness if the Sunday preacher had not been willing to then share their weaknesses first and show everybody this is how it's kind of done. Because that's how you set the tone in your church and that's how you set the culture. And I think because Metro was the first and only church I had ever attended, and I can say even after I left Metro, I can tell you this was not something that commonly I found in other churches. So it wasn't like there was some kind of like thing that happened in the early 2000s and late 2000s where people just started becoming more vulnerable because I, after I left Metro, it was hard for me to find a church because I kept comparing it to Metro being like, but these pastors are not preaching about their vulnerabilities. Um, and I really kind of saw the value of that. So I know for a fact that Metro does prioritize that and I've seen it happen just yeah. even starting on the Sunday pulpit. Right, right. No, absolutely. And so when we think about weak leadership, so for those who are leading, whether you're leading your church, whether you're leading uh, your business, your organization, uh, I think our natural tendency is to always think we need to be strong. We need to be strong. And really, I think over the years, what I've learned over the years about weakness or this idea of being a vulnerable leader is that um, I think Ukraine, a leader cannot be a leader unless the people you lead trust you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If the people you lead don't trust you, it's going to be very hard for them to want to actually follow you, right? Actually follow you in that way. And I think the the most important, you know, most important thing for leadership to be effective is you need to win the trust of the people that you're leading. Right. I do believe uh, strong leadership is that's not. I don't think that's really. Uh, uh, it's important, but it's not the forefront. I think strong leadership wants respect. 
wants to be able to, um, you know, uh, be able to answer any questions, wants to be in a sense where you're leading them through crisis and all that stuff. And, and, and you're looking like you're really strong. You have it all put together. And I think that's a very dangerous place to be because then as leaders, you know, because we're not perfect. We end up falling. We end up struggling so much in life. Uh, we feel like we can't be open and let our teams know and say, listen, I'm, I'm not in a good place right now. I'm actually really struggling. Um, we're certainly not in a place where we we uh, we can receive feedback. And I think that's one of the hardest things. In strong leadership, feedback is not welcomed. Um, and, and if you're leading, you don't want to hear feedback about how you're doing and how you're not doing. So if you're a leader, if you're a pastor, if you're a business leader, whatever you're at, if, no, if your employees have never given you feedback of your leadership, then you're probably leading from a strength perspective, right? And I think it's critical that you receive feedback, that you have people that are going to be willing to share and be honest with you about some of the things that you might be doing that's really stupid, that you got to change. But if you're not willing to do that, then it's going to be really difficult. And I think about the folks, you know, like Sue, like we've talked about this in the past podcast with pastors falling. I think about like the big, big names, right? Like, of course, the Driscolls. We, we talk about the Bill Hybels, the Ravi Zacharias, the the Carl Lenses, you know, um, um, Brian Houston from Hill Songs. You hear about all these stories of, of leaders falling. And, uh, and I really believe the reason why they've really fallen is because they've really embraced more of a strong, strength-based leadership where they cannot be vulnerable and they have to always present this strong sense of self. And when that happens, your dark side in your, your private world uh, becomes this really dark place where you live in secrecy and you can't let anyone into it because you have this image that you've created and it can get very toxic and uh, and horrible and you end up doing all sorts of abuse and things like that within which we've learned over the years. And I'm not saying that weak leadership, you're impervious to these things. Uh, I think you are susceptible to it, but the advantage that we have is that we're at least vulnerable about it. We actually you know, are open to, 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 to sharing and being honest with where we are in our struggles so that we have the greatest chance to overcome whatever darkness that often surrounds us uh, that that tries to lead us astray or tries to make us fall you know and stuff so yeah i don't know any thoughts on that i think though it's hard because there's on one hand there is um the tendency of those who are being led or the or in this context, I want to say the church context, there is a tendency from, and we've talked about this, but there is a tendency from the congregation members to kind of look up to their pastors and leaders in a way that almost wants to make them godlike um, or yeah. worship them, right? In some ways, the pastors can become an idol um, and almost like a stumbling right. block to a person's faith journey if you are putting that person ahead of, or more in giving them more important, more importance than God himself. But on yeah. the other hand, you know, I just want to, you know, I just want to say, because this was some of the feedback that I had received after our first episode aired, you know, a lot of people in the church did say to me, however, Sua, don't you think it's biblical? Isn't it biblical that those who are called to teach are, you know, are set at a higher standard than those who are yes. not? I mean, this is an actual yes. biblical thing. So how can you say, this is kind of the feedback that I had received. Like, how can you say pastors are just like us? Pastors shouldn't be just like us because there is a higher standard for them. And I feel like it's it's a tough balance, right? Like, I'm going to ask you that question is like, how do you balance that? On one hand, yes, it is biblical. It is in the New Testament that those who are called to teach should, you know, put themselves at a higher standard. However, at the end of the day, they are still human. Um, and yeah. 
kind of balancing that whole thing because on one hand you don't you don't want the congregation to look at you and think you're like you said you're impervious you're you're completely perfect with no weaknesses and only strengths but at the same time you do want to uphold that standard of yes i have i have to live my life in a certain way and a higher standard because i'm somebody who's standing here teaching god's people so yeah. how do you balance those you know i i think it's how you define standard like what? How do you define higher standard? And for me, this is how I define it. This is how I interpret that. I don't. I don't think when when uh, when that verse is mentioned in the Bible, it's really about here. Uh, like the church leader or the church pastor um, doesn't struggle with anything, or they have to like be sinless in that way mm-hmm, because that's mm-hmm. just not the reality. I actually think the higher standard that we're called to is actually vulnerability, mm. because you know the higher standard. Like when you really want to break this down theologically, let's just break this down theologically. Why is this weak thing like such an important thing? Like why, you know, this idea of weakness. You know, like the weak pastors podcast or like the weak this the weak leadership. Why is that such an important thing? Because in the Bible, Jesus specifically states in Second Corinthians twelve nine, he says to Paul, he says, Paul, it's only in your weakness can my strength be perfected Mm. in you and so theologically the reason why weakness is so critical it's not a cultural thing that we embrace if we want to encounter the strength of god the perfect strength of god if we want that it doesn't happen unless we're willing to be weak unless we're willing to be vulnerable and so when we do that the strength of God is activated and it's being perfected in our life. And that's why in leadership, we have to strive to be vulnerable. We have to be willing to do it. And I'm not, I am not suggesting if you're a pastor, you know, that you all of a sudden just make this 180 shift and then you start going up and you start confessing stuff. I'm not saying that start small, start with a few, like one person in your life that you can maybe share and just confess your life, do a life confession of all the sins you've committed, not all, but the secret sins that you've committed that nobody knows about. You have to do that. That's, that's, that's like, like step one. And if you have not done a life confession, if you're a pastor and you have not done a life confession, meaning that there are secret sins that nobody knows about, nobody, no human being, you can say, well, God knows, I confess it to him. I don't know if God, you really confessed it to God because chances are you probably still struggle with that sin. And so, you know, Bonhoeffer says this, and I've used this many times. He says, if you're just confessing your sins to God and not to somebody else, he says, at the end of the day, you're just confessing it to yourself. If you really want to receive God's forgiveness and his mercy, you always do it in front of somebody else because Bonhoeffer believed the greatest way for you to encounter a revelation of God Mm -hmm. is actually through the other person, right? So confession with somebody else is so critical. So yeah, I think that has to be step one. You got to do a life confession. You got to be able to share the darkest areas to your humanity with at least one person in your life that is so key yeah remember when i don't know if you had the same experience but when i was growing up when i used to be in youth group we would go to these retreats and they would make us write down all of our sins on a piece of paper and then throw it on the bonfire did you ever did you ever do this of course i did okay okay so (laughs) but it reminds me of that though in a way where a lot of times um we write down our sins or we speak them to god and then we, you know, quote unquote, burn them, right? Like metaphorically, we're burning them because God's yeah. erasing yeah. them. But I don't know if we really believe that we've been forgiven. Um, yeah, exactly. Because I think we can confess them, but I think there's it's one thing to confess them to God. And it's another thing to really believe that you've been redeemed from it, that right, it's right. Your re- God has really erased that and blotted that out. And I think that's the struggle for a lot of us is, 
yeah, we confess it, but have we really been forgiven? And I think because mm. we don't really believe that we've been forgiven, or maybe we believe that the sin is too big to be forgiven, we live yeah. still with that shame and guilt. And then we can't bring it to other people because we feel like yeah. um, we haven't actually, I don't know. I don't know if this is making sense, but like, I feel like no, there's still is. a part of us because we're only quote unquote confessing it to God and we're not really receiving yeah. that full forgiveness. Uh, we can't bring it to other people because we're still Absolutely. so ashamed of it and it still has yes. such a hold over us. Yes. You know, and I think that's it, where it, that, what you said plays such a big role. Incredible insight. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, so that's incredible insight, you know? And I think if you can't share it with people, you're living in such guilt because if you really believe God's forgiving you of that sin, why can't you share it? Right. You know, because God's already forgiven you I of that sin. I think part of us just don't believe that we've really, God has really forgiven. Because it's one thing exactly. to confess it. It's another thing to really understand that God's forgiven that. And therein lies, I think, why Bonhoeffer stresses the importance of confession in the presence of somebody else. Because when you confess it to somebody else, mm -hmm. and this is why, like, when I, when I do soulmate workshops, I always tell people to say at the end, because you've confessed your sins mm -hmm. today to me, your sins are forgiven. Right. Because Jesus is present. Two or more are gathered. Right. He's present there. And so that's really step one. And I really think, uh, Sua, the reason why a lot of leaders and pastors, they, they misinterpret what higher standard is. Their, their interpretation of higher standard is leading them to live a life of deep secrecy and where nobody knows who they really are. And that's a very dangerous place to be as a pastor and as a clergy is that when you think the higher standard is you not sharing and being open to what you're really struggling with uh, and being honest with your brokenness and your dark side, then what happens then you, we misinterpret what that is and we think, you know, like we have to just continue to live in secret and now portray an image that's really not us. And that's not good leadership because eventually I think the people in the church, because they're so intuitive and smart, they just know like something is off. Right. And think that's why pastors really struggle. They really struggle to uh, to gain leadership, and 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 I really believe for 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 them to have successful or healthy, impactful churches, because at the end of the day, if your people don't trust you, they're not going to want to follow you. And the best way in how people trust you is when you can be vulnerable, especially with this generation, the Gen Zers as well. They just value vulnerability or transparency so much that when they see that in leaders, they naturally grab, emotionally they connect and they wanna follow. They wanna follow because they're like, this guy is so real, he's so honest, or this gal is so real, so honest, and I wanna follow them. And so I think weak leadership, it's got, it happens everywhere. Like, like there, even if you're a, a CEO of a major company and you might be listening, if you are, thank you for listening. But uh, <laughs> even if, if you are a CEO, you have thousands of employees, you need to start being vulnerable. You need to be open to people uh, just sharing where you are, where you're at. And when you can do that, when you lead in that way, it really allows people to trust you and they're going to want to follow you. And really, at the end of the day, you know, sometimes I've heard from some people and, you know, they're exaggerating, of course. But some of the folks uh, on staff, they said, you know, Peter, I probably would take a bullet for you. I, like, I wouldn't die for you, but, you know, I, I would get shot in the leg for you. <laughs> Very specific. It's <laughs> very specific. I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't take it in the heart, in the Not chest. Not in the heart, but maybe in the buttocks. But part of that is like there's a deep sense of trust, you know? And then the other thing I would say is that when you can lead that way, then what it really opens you up to eventually is feedback. You can actually, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're, you're comfortable enough to receive feedback and you won't take it like these, these people are trying to tell me I stink or I'm like, you won't be so defensive about it, but you can actually listen and be like, 
okay, this is going to help me to grow. And as leaders, uh, one of the greatest gifts you can give to yourself and to your people that you lead is to grow in self-awareness. And that should be literally, as every leader, one of the major priorities that they put on their list is this. I have to grow in better and greater self-awareness. And you can't do that unless you have other people speak truth into your life because you can't figure out who you are without involving other people in your life. If you don't have anyone giving you feedback about your life, man, you're really messed up. You're living in a, you're living in complete like uh you're living in an illusion. You're you're oblivious to some of the things that you really struggle with. And I think that's why it's that's why you get into this dark place and you get in trouble. And then, you know, for a lot of men, we just want to work for titles and money and all we like we work for all those things because we think that's what's gonna make us happy. But deep down inside, what's gonna make you happy is this one thing that every Older person, I think, will struggle with if they really struggle in relationships. And and this is the thing. I, I've realized as I'm 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 gonna be approaching fifty soon, Sua. You got ten years, you got twelve <laughs> years. All right. So you'll get there as you get older, but I don't think you're gonna struggle with this, right? But as I've been pastoring this church, I've realized that when you get into your late forties, you start to realize what God made you for. He didn't make you to be successful. He didn't make you to have a lot of money, right? Because you realize even if you have it, it doesn't satisfy. Mm -hmm. As you get older, what you really long for is intimacy. Mm -hmm. You really long to have good friends. Yeah. You want to be fully known because God created us yeah. for intimacy. And so yeah. when we're not living in intimacy with other people and you just think God has just created you to, to, to bless the world and, and to do his ministry, like ministry without intimacy, I think really is, is uh, it's foul play mm -hmm. and you're mm -hmm. hurting yourself. But God's created us from, for intimacy and we don't have that kind of intimacy in our relationships with our spouse in our relationships with like I would just say one person you're not going to be able to lead well and you're we created for intimacy and uh, and if you're not living in that the older you get you realize how much you need it and then for men we hit these midlife crisis we got to buy a fast car we got to buy something to kind of fill this void that we're longing for and we can't because we're not willing to be vulnerable I feel like a big part of that and I'm just looking at it because right now I know we did that episode on calling and right now my quote unquote leadership role calling yes. is I am like a full-time mom, you know, I'm a, I'm a mom. And I think that's what I do is I lead my children. Um, and Fantastic. this completely even resonates even in my role as a parent, right? Because yeah. like you said earlier, um, it's really hard to parent your children well if they don't trust you. And yes, yeah. they're born kind of trusting you. I feel like it's kind of part of that whole package, but they will very quickly see right through you if you start oh, yeah. um, putting up a front or pretending that you're something that you're not. And it's part of it, I think, is the identity question is, you know, where yeah. do I find my worth? And sometimes it's really hard because I tie myself to the role of being the good parent, you know, mm. like an excellent parent. And then it makes me, it makes it really difficult for me to admit that I was wrong or to apologize to my children because it kind of goes against what my idea or my own personal standard of a good mom should be. Like a good mom right. should not make mistakes. A good mom um, should always do the right thing, but that's not reality, right? And I don't even think that's what God called us to do. You know, right. God called us to be a faithful 
mom, um, not a perfect mom. And by denying that part, and you know, do you think my kids won't know that I made a mistake? I mean, maybe yeah. not right now. They won't think about it. But fast yeah. forward two, three years, the walls are going to start cr cracking. Oh, yeah. You know, those cracks oh, yeah. are going to get bigger and bigger. And they're going to see right through the fact that I remember my mom, again, whom I love, but you know, in our Korean context, the idea of parents making mistakes was never something that was confronted. Of course not. Yeah. Um, and so I grew up most of my childhood believing that my parents never made mistakes. Like my parents yeah. were infallible people. Maybe I wouldn't have said it like that, but I think that's what I believed. Like my parents don't make mistakes because yeah. that was kind of the culture that was presented to me. Right. And I remember there was a huge dissonance in my teen years when I started seeing my parents are not perfect. And yeah. it was, it was like a really earth shattering thing for me that when that realization hit my head, like, holy crap, my parents make mistakes, yeah. you know? And I think that was really hard for me. So I think we are giving ourselves like a lot of, um, helpful, you know, credit into the future. If we can just be honest with our kids, even right now and say, mommy and daddy are not perfect and yeah. we make mistakes here is how we have messed up and also the second part of what you said is sometimes it's really hard to ask for feedback you said this in our first episode about the difference between transparency and vulnerability which yes. i thought was so good um because even pastors when i watch the news and the parent you know these pastors who have quote unquote made moral failures or whatever they've stumbled a lot of times the way they react is with transparency but yes. not vulnerability right and so Sue, can you remember what i said in the first episode what why don't you say it since okay. it was your thing so so i think we live in a culture today and and and, and a lot of people love transparency a lot of people mm -hmm. like to be transparent um that's not what we're aiming for we need to be vulnerable vulnerability is taking it a step further vulnerability is being completely transparent but then you want feedback right that's vulnerability because that feedback can hurt you Right. A lot of times we want people like transparency, because, but they don't want the feedback. And what we need to go for to be a true weak pa leader, weak pastor, uh, weak parent, whatever you use that word to be truly weak. You got to be vulnerable, not transparent. Vulnerability is you want feedback and in every area of life. And so like for Sua, like, you know, um, uh, like for my kids, I've asked them many times, right. can you give me some feedback on how I'm doing as a father? Like I need to know because I want to learn. You would give me the best feedback because you're the recipient of me being, you know, because I'm your dad. And so they would give me feedback. Mm -hmm. you know, and that's what it means to be vulnerable. It's you're being transparent, you're sharing, but you're also saying, I need feedback right now. I need feedback from you. So yeah, so go ahead and say No, it. so I was going to say with pastors, a lot of times, you know, I've, the reactions have been, okay, well, I'm going to get up on this pulpit. This I'm basing this on this one particular pastor's story that I recently read um, where he had had an affair um, with a minor, even though he neglected to tell that part, like a minor in his church. And he Most went people up, know who you're talking about right okay, now. Okay, well, so he anyway, went yeah. up on Sunday and he was basically like, well, this is what I did and um, here it is. But he was not, his attitude was very much like, I'm telling you what I did, so I don't want to hear anything yeah. about it, basically. Yeah. Like, yeah. Here, look at me, I'm being transparent. I'm confessing my sins yeah. to you, yeah. game over. Like, that's mm. it. Yeah. You know, and clearly that is not how it works. That is not, that's, I think, to me, the difference between transparency and vulnerability. Even for yeah. me, sometimes it's much easier for me to say to my kids, okay, I'm sorry mommy did X, Y, and Z over yeah look i did my part but right. it's so much harder than to say okay so tell me how you think i can do that better yep. or tell me how that yep. made you feel yep. that part is much harder and i you know and i really think that only comes if i know that 
going back to the calling episode, that my calling is not my identity. Yeah. Because I think if I think that my entire calling right now or my entire identity is my job, which is being a mom, every time I make a mistake, it's like, I am bad. Yeah. You know, I am just a bad person. But my current calling is not my identity, right? Like my ultimate calling is to be a child of God. And I have to keep reminding myself, like God already loves me and God already sees me as good. I don't need to keep trying to earn that by doing a good job at this current station in my life. And I think it's really hard to welcome that feedback and be open to that kind of vulnerable leadership if you don't fully root yourself in what you already are, what God has already done for you, which is what Jesus has already done for you and given you the name of you are my beloved. If you can't root yourself in that, it's really hard to then accept the feedback without feeling attacked. This is why I love processing things with you, Sua, because you just helped me to like crystallize stuff so much better. And this is going to go all go on my thesis paper uh, that I'm writing for my <laughs> dissertation. So this is why I love Which I'm going to edit anyway. Yeah, which you're going to edit anyway, so it doesn't matter. But anyway, um, but here's the thing. This is what I just realized as I'm hearing you speak, and, and I think it's, it's so profound, and I hope it doesn't offend anyone. If you are not being vulnerable with at least one person in this world, um, you are not living into your identity and being a child of God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The reason why I can be vulnerable is because I know I'm a prince to the king of kings and lord That's of lords. Right. I, I, I believe right. it so much that I could share my darkest broken things with somebody in this world and I could receive feedback from them mm-hmm. and they can tell me what they think and, and, and lovingly always. But I, I'm the only reason why I could do that is because I know I'm a child of God. Right. When you don't know you're a child of God, and you can't just say that with your mind, it's gotta, it's gotta work itself out through its action. You might mm-hmm. think you're a child of God, but I think it, one of the clear signs that you truly believe it with your heart and you're living it is when you can be vulnerable. Yep. Yep. And when you can't do that, then you don't know you're a child of God. And how yeah. could you be a good leader? How could you be a leader at work? How could you be a leader, you know, at uh, at church? How could you be a pastor at church when you don't when you're not ministering out of a place where you believe that you're a child of God? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you just can't because now you're going to have all these false identities and and these false sense of self and the imposters and all those things. And so this is why I think weak leadership, it's so critical for us because if we're not going to live into this idea of being vulnerable, uh, we're not going to we're not going to be able to tame the dark side of our lives. Mm-hmm. And nobody's going to trust us. Nobody's going to trust us. To say, I'll follow you in that way. And that doesn't mean they trust us because they always know that we're going to make the, the right decisions. I think they trust us because they know that no matter what that they know that they will be supported and that they're going to just that they know that their leader is not perfect but that they'll continue to follow because they know that those are the people who believe that they're children of god and they're going to live their life that way and they're going to lead their organization their church whatever it might be in that way and so i think that's incredibly important and so um it's it, it's it's something that i want to encourage our audience to do that you need to be vulnerable. And I know we've had a soulmate episode. Listen to that if you have not. So kind of we kind of talk about how, what are the steps and how to do that. But it'll really change your life because God created us for intimacy mm-hmm. with him and with other people. And when, when we're not living in that kind of intimacy, man, like as we get older, we just get really weird. Like we just <laughs> get weird. We get weird. And we get more and more weird. And sometimes we can't even see how weird we are because we're too focused on looking at the weirdness of other people and we're not focusing on our weirdness. 
And and we have to do better. We have to be open as leaders. I, I can't even imagine how we can actually lead outside of this well. And, uh, and it's important that we do. It's really, really important that we lead in that way. And so, yeah. So any other thoughts you have, Sua, so I can keep processing? No, I, I agree with everything you said. It's like, you know, the more, have you ever noticed that the more you think of yourself as being good at something, the more that feedback hurts. Like for example, I am a terrible driver. So if somebody says to me, gosh, you are so bad at driving, it doesn't really make me feel all that bad. Cause I'm just like, yeah, I'm a terrible driver. So what? But let's, but you and know, you really so, are, you really are a terrible okay, driver. Not, that was not you the drive point like of an 85 year old woman, man. I'm just like, you drive so slow <laughs> and you drive like your, your head is like touching the, no, you but, can kiss the steering wheel with those big lips. You know, cause okay, you're so Cal, okay, close. Listen, that, that's too far. All right. Sorry, I, that's, I draw the line there. Okay. No, why must we go I, on I about my lips? You pick me up from the airport. I'm like, why are you driving like that? Well, so anyway, listen, that's just how I drive. But see, see, this is not hurting deep. me I'm sorry, in any I'm way. Sorry. No, this it's is not, not hurting it's not, me it's not because hurting you, yes. I don't, you know, but <laughs> let's say I'm thinking of something that I'm like really good at. I can't really think of anything at the current moment, oh, but, you, um, there are a lot of things. You no, but let's say like, things? okay. So for example, like I cook for my family, right? And my family is like, you're a terrible cook. This is terrible. It hurts me a lot more because I feel like I base a lot of my identity mm, on things I'm good this at. This is good. This is you, good you audience. You know what I'm listen saying? Up. Yeah, listen up. This is good. Yeah. No, but I feel like that's what... No, no. Can you stop? <laughs> Drop so that bad. wisdom, girl. Drop that wisdom. No, so I, I, no, I just feel like we form our identities based on our strengths, the things yeah. that we're good at. And so those become almost like untouchable things to us in yeah. many ways because like you said earlier, and like we discussed earlier, if we don't find our identity first and foremost in the fact that we are a child of God and that's already a completed thing, yeah, um, we don't have the space or freedom to be able to become better at the things that God has called us to do because we're so busy trying to prove to ourselves and everybody else that we are good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so yes. and it's always the strengths. It's never the weaknesses. It's always the things that yeah. we consider that we're good at. Always the things that God has yeah. gifted us with. These are the things that become curses because then we yeah. start making those things our identity instead of yeah. our identity is already in Christ. And these are the things that God has called us and gifted us to improve yeah. upon and gift the world with. But yep. instead we are like hoarding these things and holding them so tightly. And we're like, no, no, this is who I am. And no, you don't get to tell me how to get better. So yes. we, we can only do that if we take a step back and say, that's not my identity. This yep. is my identity. Yep. This is God's gift to me. And I'm going to welcome other people's feedback because no matter what they say, it doesn't change who I am. Yep. It just makes how I do things better. Exactly. You know, it's two separate things. And why wouldn't you want to do things better? Like that's the thing, right. right? Because feedback doesn't change who you are. That's really important what you just said there. It just helps you to do things better. Yeah. How and, how? It's yeah. not the who. You yeah. know, it's it's the human doing, not the human yeah. being, you know? Yep. And and that's the most important thing. And that's why I think it's so pivotal that you practice that in marriage. Mm -hmm. Like I think it's so important that you talk to your spouse and say, I need feedback from you. Like you live with me. You yeah. see things about yeah. me. Give me some feedback on how I can be a better person, but a better wife, a better husband. What could I do? Like, I, I just, like, I guess because I'm in this place now in my life, I just, I cannot believe married couples are not willing to do that with each other. Like, do you really love each other? How could you say you love each other when you're not willing to give feedback to each other? And again, like you just said, Sua, if that affects who you think mm -hmm. you are, mm -hmm. 
then there's something deeply wrong with your spiritual formation because you are called, you are a child of God. And that's our yeah. identity. And when you live into that, then why wouldn't you want feedback from the people who know you the best? You should welcome it and you should ask for it and take it as a term of endearment as opposed to, oh my God, they're making me feel like crap right now. And you, you know? know what? I just want to be honest and say, I think I am pretty good at rooting myself in my identity in Christ. And yet I don't love <laughs> I don't like it. I mean, you know, it doesn't Nobody mean that. Yeah, right. But so I'm, I'm being honest and saying, you know, just because you are rooted in your identity in Christ doesn't necessarily mean that when your kids then tell you all of these things about you that you can improve upon, it feels good. Like I'm this holy person that's like, yes, like I love the sanctification process where like my children are getting, I hate it. Sometimes I really want to smack them. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> really? Like that's what you're going to tell me right now? You know, but yeah. so I don't necessarily think it means that it's always love, like super, super awesome that when they want to get this feedback. And a lot of times when I get constructive feedback, even at work previously, it's not pleasant. You no. know, it's definitely not pleasant, but I think um, it it's not so unpleasant or so threatening that you can't accept it. We have know? to we have to learn to realize that feedback is delayed gratification. Mm. You know, because when you can actually take it, and not every feedback is accurate. Okay, yes, so I've got that's very important to I'm say. I'm like, also. well, that's off. That's really off. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't agree with that. But when you're really open to it, it will never feel great when you listen to it. But what we'll do eventually is you'll see it'll change how you love people, how you lead your church, how you lead your organization. And then you see it just, it starts to come together. Then you start to have a healthier staff. Then you start to have a healthier, you know, company, healthier employees. You start to see like everything working so much better together. And it's just great. And it's not dysfunctional because if we can't receive that kind of feedback, we have a deeply dysfunctional organization that we're mm -hmm. leading and you need that kind of feedback. You absolutely need it. And I just recently got feedback, um, you know, um, you know, cause we, we meet up with the partners, uh, pastors meet up with the partners and, um, and, and, um, and the, one of the things we ask the partners is feedback, give us some feedback, you know, like what are some things you think we can do better as a church, so on and so forth. And one of my pastors, they said, Hey Peter, can I talk to you about some of the feedback that some of these partners have shared with me? And they did. And he, he, he gave me a list and I'm like, good, 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 good. Then he talked about, uh, sermon hmm. and they get feedback on the sermon. Now, you know, I could take that incredibly defensively because that's my, don't touch my territory. Well, that's, you know, like I said, that's what you're good at. That's your exactly. thing. Don't, yeah. Don't, don't, don't mess with what yep. I know. I yep. know what I'm doing. And so, but they gave this feedback and I didn't, I didn't really think I agree with it. So I did push back and we had like, you know, I had to go out to go to a meeting. So we couldn't really fully process and dialogue about it. Uh, but yeah, but I, I, I didn't fully agree upon it. And I was like, nah, I don't know if I agree with that. And, you know, I would say it got a little bit heated in our in our talking together mm -hmm. about it because I think I was defending kind of how we, you know, it wasn't just me, but it was the, our, our church and our Team. staff, you know, and yeah. stuff like that. And uh, and so, you know, that it was it was a Wednesday when that happened and we had sermon practice. Mm -hmm. And after the sermon practice, I brought it up to the staff. I brought it up to the preaching team. What do you guys think? Mm -hmm. You know, and. And I think, you know, one of our pastors then, you know, texted this other the staff that interviewed the, the, the partners and he says, hey, man, PP is actually talking about this. And he was just really blown away that I would be willing to talk about it. Mm. And because I think he thought I was getting very defensive and hurt by it. And I was like, no, 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 no. I, like, I, I want to be able to have heated discussions with right, my staff. Right. 
and and talk. But at the end of the day, it's real feedback. Right. But I need to talk to our pastors, our teaching team, who actually preach with us, and I need to get their feedback. Right. And he was just so blown away, like. I can't believe you would do that. Like it wasn't even days; it was just hours, mm-hmm. and you're willing to talk about that. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, of course. Why wouldn't I want to talk about that? Because I need to know. Like, are they right? Like, what's going on here? So I just think, like, when you know who you are, you can receive. It's never pleasurable. Yeah. It's not like, oh, this is, feels great, but it's delayed gratification yeah. because eventually you learn and you're like, and if if the consensus was no, they're right, then we change stuff, you know, and then you're like delayed gratification. It doesn't feel great. But it's delayed gratification. I also think it's interesting that you guys do. Um, what is it called when you do sermon, your sermon we call it before? Sermon prep. So we preach our sermons yeah. on Wednesdays, and then the teaching team gives feedback on it, like what. Which they is did so wrong, interesting because I've only been to that one time. <laughs> it was when I did. <laughs> so. And I remember I gave you feedback, and you were so hurt. I think I think I hurt you. You mean that like you after Kevin? the actual sermon? No, 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 no. Before, before. No, there I, don't know. I don't remember, but I just don't, don't remember it being the most pleasant experience <laughs> because I feel like a lot of the pastors, you guys have been doing this for a while. And um, I feel like, I don't know, maybe it's not always pleasant, but you become somewhat used to the whole thing. But man, like yeah. it was, it's like, okay, give me the, like preach the sermon exactly the way you would do it on Sunday. And then they just start giving you all of this feedback about, I don't know if I agree with the thing yeah, you said yeah, about this. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you, I like the yeah. way you said this. And it's like, oh my gosh, what is happening? But I mean, what an amazing opportunity because you know, it's a safe space, right? Everybody has good intentions. Yep. You trust nobody's, everyone there. Nobody's giving you this feedback um, they hate And it's also such a position of humility to be able to institute something like that because you're basically saying we want to hear your feedback you know a lot, I, I actually don't know how many pastors really do that they don't they, very few because it's such a sacred not like sacred well, but like such a, you're I'm right a, it's a territorial thing exactly don't tell me how i need to preach because yeah. a lot you know so i remember when i first instituted this like the, my pushback like i was like thinking should i do this or not because i'm thinking well the holy spirit speaks to me so who are you to tell me what but I that's what a lot of pastors i think think right exactly so, so you need to know when we first implemented this, I did not want to do it. I hated it. Like, Whose idea wa- was it? It was my idea. Oh, okay. <laughs> let's do it. You know, let's do it. You know, but I was just you like, didn't do uh, it you know, like maybe we could figure out a way not to do sermon practice today, you know, and stuff <laughs> oh like that. Oh my gosh. And, uh, but I'm just thinking, no, but I got to lead the way because I hate feet. Like those the years ago, I was just like, I'm not comfortable. I don't like it. And I'm going to be honest, I still don't like it. Nobody who right, preaches right. likes this. Nobody thinks, can't wait to get free. But you know what? Delay gratification. Because when I preach it on Sunday, I'm like, my goodness, this sermon is so much better. Mm. Because I had seven, eight pastors work on the sermon with me, yeah. gave me feedback than if I did it. And now, like, I'm going to be honest, Sua. If I have to preach a, like a brand new sermon, like if, if like, because I'm going to be speaking at a big conference in a uh, several months from now. And, and like, there is no way that if I have to write a new sermon, there is no way I'm not going to practice it in front of mm-hmm. our pastors. That's awesome. Because I can't even imagine preaching a sermon without their feedback. Because mm-hmm. I have a New Testament professor on my staff. <laughs> Why wouldn't I want yeah. a biblical scholar's feedback on yeah. my Jesus? It would be foolish of me not to want that. I have seven, eight pastors that are MDiv trained. Mm-hmm. They've gone through seminary like me. Why wouldn't I want their input? You know, why wouldn't I want their feedback on what I do? And then we have like other folks that join in, like Tim, the media guy and stuff that joins in. And I, like I, he thinks like an atheist. 
Mm-hmm. And so he always brings in the perspective of like, well, listen, you know, like I don't know if people who are not Christian are going to really like what you're saying here. Yeah, and like, yeah. and stop using so much Christianese because if somebody doesn't have a faith back, Christian faith background, they're not going to understand yeah. this inside language yeah, that you're it's using. Good feedback. So it's just like it's so great. But at the end of the day, I think like the more bigger purpose of why we do all this is not just to preach good sermons on Sunday, but I want our pastors to be open to feedback for not Mm -hmm. just their preaching, but every area of their leadership and that they would be open to it. And this is one of the ways in how we do it. That's awesome. And I I always respected that. I thought that's awesome because I don't think, there's a lot of things, gosh, I feel like I'm like marketing Metro here, but here it goes. (laughs) Uh, I feel like because- Uh, you know, because um, I spent su- such a big portion of my adult life at Metro, because um, I went there when I was 21 or 22. And then when I was leaving, I was about 33 or 34. So like, wow. it was like a big chunk of my adult life, like young adult to like yeah. midlife. Um, there was a lot of things that I think I took for granted that were culturally part of Metro that I just assumed this is just how it is. And I didn't realize until I went to other churches that I was like, oh, that was a very distinct thing that metro was doing you know even the pastors having like a preaching team that's constantly on rotation i know you do the bulk of the preaching but there is a lot of other pastors who preach on the regular that is another thing that i have very very rarely seen in other churches it's usually always the senior pastor who preaches like 98 percent of the sermons and like there's little things like that like you know like the feedback for the sermons i don't think that's ever been a thing at other churches i've been to um pastors are very rarely you know, vulnerable on Sundays. And so, yeah, I just think that there is something special going on, um, you know, at Metro. And I think it is this weakness. Um, yeah. It's, it, at the end of the day, it's just this weak concept because why, when we can be weak like that, God's strength is perfected in us mm-hmm. and God takes over at that point. And so, yeah, you know, for everyone who's listening, you're a leader in some capacity, whether you're a leader at home uh, whether you're a leader at work, whether you're, whether you're a leader at church, whether you're a leader with your friends, social group, whatever it is, we're, we all are leading something in life. We're all called to do that in some ways. And I just want to really encourage you that embrace the weak concept because I know the world will never embrace it. But when you can lead out of a place of vulnerability, um, that is going to help you to lead at, I believe, your maximum potential. And the more vulnerable you are, I think the more secure you are in being a child of God. And that alone is worth being more vulnerable. So start right now. Have one person um, could do a life confession this week. I want to encourage you to meet somebody. And if you have a soulmate, you've never done a life confession, please do it. Start. Do it this week and sit down and confess the sins nobody knows about. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really great place to start. And uh, you could take it one step at a time. But if you have any questions, any thoughts, um, like to talk, listen, I'm available. I'd be happy to talk to you. Sua is as well. Um, email, or we can even maybe set up a Zoom or whatever. Particularly if you're a pastor, I have a real heart for pastors. If you're a pastor uh, and you're listening right now and some of the stuff is resonating with you, reach out to me, send me an email, and I'm happy to respond and love to get together with you. We could do it via Zoom or Google Meets and uh, we can connect. And I, I'm sure Sua would make herself available too if you would like to. Um, but uh, but yeah, but this is really important. This is something that we believe in. And, uh, and I, I really want to create a movement of weakness uh, in the church so that we can all allow mm-hmm. the perfect strength of God to be perfected in us. So thank you all for listening. We hope that you have a great rest of your day. And hopefully you'll tune in again next week for a brand new episode. Take care. Take care. Bye, everyone.